ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm Mystery Matt, and you're listening to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. And with me tonight, I've got Chris, Jimmy, and my lovely wife, Sarah, is right beside me. Anyways, this evening, we got a little bit of something special for you guys. I'll give you a hint. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing a special on both the Tupac and Biggie Smalls murders. Uh, that's why we've got, well, Sarah's got something like 27 pages <laughs> worth of notes. 18. 18 pages worth of notes. Fuck me running. Jimmy, by the way, we're an adult thing. I said it too explicit every time. Feel free to swear. All right, on. Shit, fuck balls. Shit, fuck balls. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, so right off the top, I wanted to give a shout out to Luke and to his friends who are new listeners to the podcast. How are you doing, guys? Hope you're enjoying yourselves. And uh, yeah, did you want to start or does Chris want to start? Who wants to start? Sarah's starting. Okay, we're going to introduce you to the Notorious B.I.G., so Christopher Wallace was born to Valletta Wallace on May 21st, 1972. Valletta was a single mother living in Brooklyn, working and going to school. Um, he was her only child and her pride and joy. And she provided for him or for them through her career as a teacher. Um, Christopher would attend Catholic school and was a good student. He was really smart. Um, his grandmother, Gwendolyn, described him as love- loving, kind, and a genius. And once a year, Valletta and Christopher would return to Jamaica to see her family, including her mother, Gwendolyn, and her brother, Dave. Growing up, Valletta did all she could to keep her son out of harm's way by monitoring who he associated with as they lived in a not-so-safe part of Brooklyn. But despite her best efforts and unbeknownst to his lovely mother, Christopher found a way. He, along with his friends, D-Rock, C. Gunner, (coughs) Ollie, would sell crap. Christopher would pack it in just before his mother would get off the train from work. And she had no idea. Um, he'd also stop attending high school and would work at a grocery store as a bag boy. Um, on free time, he would be dropping rhymes, making his friends laugh. He had a really special gift for just freestyling, and he could pretty much rap about anything. Sounds like uh, Eminem of today. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maddie C. of Source Magazine brought Sean Puffy Combs, a.k.a. also P. Diddy, um, Christopher's demo tape. And Combs thought it was so good. That he didn't think it was real. So when he met Wallace, he had him actually freestyle and was completely amazed by his talent. Um, During 1992, Wallace would go through a lot of shit. He got signed, but things were moving really slow and his mother was battling breast cancer and his friend Ollie was shot in June of that year. And Wallace was supposed to be with him and that shook him up really bad. Um, In 1993, his daughter Tiana was born while getting ready to work on his debut album, Ready to Die, which was released in 1994 and is now certified six times platinum. But just like the story goes, he also had some legal issues. Sometimes things don't go the way you plan. No. In 1989, Wallace was arrested and sentenced to five years probation. And in 1990, he was arrested for violating his probation. 
excuse me. In 1991 in North Carolina, he spent nine months in jail for dealing crack. And in 1994, Wallace married R&B superstar Faith Evans. Chris, you got Tupac now? Uh, supposed to follow that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay, so you know y- you're not used to it because you don't listen to the, the crime ones. Yeah. But when Kelly and Sarah get down to the crime podcast, they're very factual, very timeline oriented, everything by the numbers, everything verified or not said. On that note, Matt really wanted me to go Stephanie Harlow deep dive, and that's the best as I could do with trying to keep this as condensed as possible. So mine's not as (laughs) in-depth, unfortunately. (laughs) I did not prepare. Tupac, uh, he wore a bandana. No, no, no. No. Uh, Hold on. I got to fix this. Uh, So Tupac Shakur was born... Do, do, do what's his legal name now? I have it here. Oh wow! Shut up! I had it all. Re- this is why I love paper. Right? Yeah, I had everything written down and I forgot it at home. <laughs> so leave me alone. The best part yeah. about being a host is I'm... that you don't have to do research. You just have to listen to the people talk and put in your two cents. Well, I know more about other stuff with Tupac and stuff, not like the beginning. So he was born. June 16, 1971, in the city of New York. His real name is Lennis Paulus Crooks. Uh, his mother was a Black Panther uh, activist, uh, raised by his mother in New York until 1984, where he moved to Baltimore and then to San Francisco area in 1988, where he released his first album, but back in 84, he went to the school of Baltimore, uh, arts where he met Jada Pickett Smith. Yeah. Yeah. The lady who, uh, uh, yeah. I think that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. That's a whole different podcast, but, uh, keep my wife's name out your mouth. Am yeah. I allowed to say that I have more hair than her? No. no. Oh, yes. You oh, are. yes. Very. No, no, no. Cause like did. Yeah. Yeah. So. My bad. You're bad. Yeah. The it's way to go. To no. Yeah. 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 But, JD, if you are, uh, we love your bald head. <laughs> uh. You're just crazy as fuck. Yeah. So, uh, Shakur was born in East Harlem section of Upper Manhattan, New York City. While born, uh, at his name, his mother chain renamed him Tupac. What the heck does that say? <laughs> Tupac Amaro Shakur. Yeah. He was named after Tupac Amora the second. No, you have to repeat what he said because he was too far away from the mic. So, just a little fun fact. Tupac was actually it. born in jail. Uh, oh, really? Him. Yes, his mother gave birth to him in jail. You know. Oh, damn. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, just a little thing. Uh, his dad, Mo Prem, right? His brother, sorry. Uh, what else do you want to know? I can't read that well. That's my problem. Him no learn read good. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's your stuff. Oh, okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. I'm a biggie guy, you know? So, basically, he was named after a guy was in Peru in 1781 after his failure of the revolution of the Spanish rule. Shakuro's mom explained, I wanted him to have the name of a revolutionary 
individual person in the world. I wanted him to know he was part of the world culture and not just from a neighborhood. Uh, Poor one out for a homie. Yeah. I'm sorry. Was at the bar too long? No, I wasn't at the bar too long. Was at the beach too long? There's a video of it. I have photo Shakur evidence. began recording under the stage name MC New York in 1989. That, that was his stage name? Was MC New York? That year, he began attending poetry classes, and he soon became his, uh, of Liana Stromberg, and she soon became his manager. Stromberg originally organized a contract for Shakur and his rap group, Stirs. Strat City Dope. Strictly Dope. Oh, Strictly Dope. Thanks, Jimmy, for correcting me. Uh, Are we going to get copyrighted because you rewrite Wikipedia? Maybe. <laughs> no, Are it's you reading? Free Domain. Oh. Free, free, free to what now? It's Free do- Domain. What is? Wiki is Free Domain. Wiki, Wiki, what? Because anybody can go on it and edit it. Uh, oh, so if you want to read what Chris was talking about, just check out what yeah, he'll just, just in case, you know, you don't think yeah. he's telling the truth. Yeah, he wikied it. And so. on that point, I'm going to throw it back over to Sarah because now I feel embarrassed. <laughs> don't. We know you had your notes before and you just forgot them. So we're talking about the friendship between Biggie and Tupac. I, I didn't really do a deep dive in this, so I might throw it to Jimmy. Or oh, Chris. I can I can kind of touch on that okay. too. Yeah. But so in 1993, Big and Tupac Shimmer. became friends, supporting each other. With Big even appearing on stage with Tupac. The two were close and traveled together frequently. So the way that Biggie and Tupac became close was Tupac was in New York shooting a movie called Above the Rim. And while shooting that movie, um, that's where Tupac actually caught his case for sexual... Not yet. Well, he can at least finish a sentence. But like... So they were hanging out and stuff like that. And while he was filming, he was sleeping on Biggie's couch and stuff like that. And then uh, during the filming of Above the Rim, he ended up catching the case for it was during the filming that he ended up. I didn't see that. Yeah. Research that he ended up catching the charge. It wasn't until later that they actually prosecuted the charge because he was hanging out with, I believe it was the Crips at that time. And, uh, it was one of the Crip members who actually set up him the false allegation of him sexually. He's going way too far ahead. <laughs> harassing this woman. Well, that's just what. Well, that's a little bit of headbutt. Uh, yeah. He's running quick. So that's a brief overview about what we're getting into next. So if you're at the 10 minute mark and that's not what you want to listen to, I guess this is your out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, as Chris touched on, that was the uh, being accused of sexual assault. Um, so, in November 90, 1993, Tupac would be accused of rape. He and two others were accused of sexual assault and sodomy of Ayanna Jackson. Sodomy? Yes. Shakur was also charged with illegal possession of a firearm. And he denied ever sexually assaulting Jackson, stating that it hurt him that, and I quote, a woman would accuse me of taking something from her, unquote said he was surrounded by women his whole life and was raised in a female household. I don't know if I'm close enough to that. Um, before his court date on November 30th, 1994, Shakur was in New York working on recording verses for a friend. Jimmy Rosemond, also known as Jimmy Henchman, told Shakur to come to Quad Studios to pick up his 7000 for doing the work. 
Once in the lobby, he was attacked, robbed, beaten, and shot five times, and he was taken to Metropolitan dun, Hospital. Dun, dun. Pardon? I said dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Which will set up to where we gotta go, right? Kind of, sort of. Not really. Um, he was taken to the Metropolitan Hospital, had surgery, and then promptly checked himself out. And at this time, he was already kind of conspired, like, thinking that Biggie and Puffy and now all that and henchmen were behind it. Um, so there's a backstory to that. Right. So there's a backstory to that, right? Mm-hmm. So prior to that, Biggie did warn. Yes, uh, about the guys that he was hanging that, with in the in the hotel room. Prior to this, that you know, hey, these yeah. guys are no good, you know. Yeah. And then going back to that, it was actually uh, it was actually Haitian Jack. Okay. Yeah. So the drug dealer Haitian Jack, for y'all don't know, huge uh, drug dealer in Harlem, stuff like that. Anyway. He's in the room with him. He thinks Pac ratted on him and shit. Biggie warns him that, hey, these guys are no good. Don't play with him because yeah. he's a serious gangster. And Pac wasn't a gangster at that time. He was never right? a gangster. He just So what happens him. is Haitian Jax has his boys rob him and shoot him in Quad Studios, which at the at is which is a huge moment in history, yes. right? Because that right there changes hip hop. That was the starting of the chain reaction. Right? Yes. And the end... Pretty much the end of their friendship between Biggie and Pac, right? Yeah. That's where the beginning of the end was pretty much near, right? Yeah. So after, so he arrived at the courthouse the day after being shot and having surgery, which it, to me is either crazy or miraculous or heroic. I, depending on when, when you have to go to court, you have to go to court. If you are physically able and not put up in the hospital, you must attend. Well, no, they were well, going Pac to Pac was very paranoid, right? Yes, Pac, he was that's, very paranoid. That's, that's why, why he checked himself out. Yes, he checked himself out, didn't trust yeah. anybody, no no one he wanted to get out of there, right? Yeah. And he, he felt like he was going to be a sitting duck sitting there in the hospital. So he checked himself out. He didn't want, he was offered to postpone the court date, but he's like, no, fuck that, right? Um, so he goes to court, he posted the $25,000 bond, and he was acquitted of three counts of sodomy and gun charge. But... Convicted of two counts of first-degree sexual abuse from touching a butt. Yes. That was later on proven in court, which is why he goes to jail, right? Yeah. So, so I already kind of said this. Well, oh, what, Matt? Can't even touch a butt? Can't even touch a butt. No, it's classified as sexual harassment. Sexual harassment. Well, that's what they charged Panda. him in court was that. But prior to that, you know, he also was charged, right, when he had that incident when he was getting head on the floor. Yeah. Fuck, in a nightclub, Whoops. right? And that girl charged him as well, too, so... You know, there's a lot of history of Pac prior to all these other things. So, it, we obviously touched on the fact that while in the hospital, Tupac kind of thought he had been set up by henchman Puffy and Biggie, which would obviously end the friendship between the two. Puffy and Biggie had nothing to do with Tupac's attack and were just at Quad City by coincidence. Um, Tupac was sentenced to 18 months to four and a half years in prison in February of 1995. Near the end of the year, Suge Knight, CEO of Death Row Records, met with Shakur at the prison, and upon agreement in exchange for Tupac signing with Death Row for a multi-album deal, Suge paid Tupac's bond of $1.4 million. Chris? So, I'll let Jimmy, because Jimmy obviously knows more about it than I do, but I kind of know that, like, so, the whole before Biggie, or before Suge even met with Tupac, he went on stage at the Source Awards and stated that he was going to sign Pac. Yeah, and basically said if anybody is sick and tired of their producer being up no. in there. Whoa. Okay, that was just before shit too. Right? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little before shit, but uh, yeah. Anyway, let's when Pac's in jail before he signs with Suge Knight. Let's hence where Pac's. So Pac while in jail, uh, someone comes to him and tells him 
who was pretty much the, uh, behind the shooting. And this is where he finds out that Biggie is behind the shooting. Biggie has has Haitian Jack. You know, he sets up, sets him up pretty much, right? And this is where Tupac finds out because this is where the Illuminati comes to in the picture and tells him in jail. And Tupac and he tells Tupac his life story, how everything's going to happen, and hence this is where Tupac comes with the Illuminati theory, right? This is where it all comes. So Suge Knight comes in, obviously, as she was touching on. You know, he signs it. Uh, I think the deal was on toilet paper or something like I'm that. Not sure. He like signs for three, three albums at least. Uh, yeah, for three albums uh, and uh, a, a million dollars in cash or something like that, right? Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. So part of this gets even deeper. So with Tupac officially signed by Death Row and um, indebted to Suge Knight at the West Coast versus the East Coast rivalry, rivalry was in full swing. The notorious B.I.G. released the song Who Shot Ya just months after Tupac gave an interview to Vibe magazine where he accused Biggie, Puffy, and Henchman, also known as, oh, I already said that, also known as Jimmy Henchman, for getting him shot. Shakur took the song as a mockery of his shooting. But Biggie has vehemently denies that the song was ever about Tupac shoot, shooting, and the da- but the damage was done by now between Pac and Big. Thing was, Biggie had recorded the lyrics before Pac's shooting, but Puffy left it off the album, Ready to Die but released as a single much later. Biggie said that the track was about a rivalry between drug dealers. In a retaliation disc, tra- disc track, Tupac released Hit Him Up. This is a straight-up diss track. There's no doubt about it. He he doesn't hold back at all. Yeah, I've heard this one. It, it's pretty it brutal. It is the greatest diss track. <laughs> oh, my God. History. I listened right? to it. It was so brutal. So like, I, Well, he even mentioned how he fucks his wife and stuff, right? Yes. It, yeah. It's in Sarah, the song. You said it. I can say yeah. it. I know, but I have Sarah, we'll get it. Well, go for it. Go, give her. Okay. So in this, like he doesn't hold back and basically uses Biggie's name, Little C's name, Puffy's name, Bad Boy, and claiming he fucked Big's wife. But just as a quick side note, Faith Evans has denied ever having sex with Tupac. She did say while working with Tupac, he tried and made advances. And anyone who has mentioned the so-called affair was Tupac's, was Tupac to push his music and the you know, the rivalry between the two and to hurt Beggy, Faith Evans' ex-husband during a messy divorce and one of Tupac's exes who said Tupac told her. So everything's unreliable, it's hearsay, and actually it was never mentioned in any of the documentaries I've watched. Um, so who in shot, who, so in who shot ya, there are a few things that made me understand why Tupac thought the song was about him. One, the line, recognize my face so there won't be no mistake. So you know where to tell Jake, lame, and then N-word. Um, it could be a coincidence, but Shug's best friend was Big Jake Rubbles, uh, who was killed allegedly by Puffy's bodyguard in 95. That took place in Atlanta. Hence, this is what the whole East Coast, West Coast yeah. beef is all about, truly. Yeah. Okay, so and number two, the lines, East Coast motherfuckers who shot ya, West Coast motherfuckers, West Coast motherfuckers. So you guys can take that at face value. Sorry for all the motherfuckers. <laughs> it's like a Samuel L. Jackson movie up in here. Right? Right on. Second time. And then with I'm going to basically quote word for word the first basically paragraph of Hit Him Up. So it's first off, fuck the bitch in the click you claim, West Side, when we ride, come equipped with game. You claim to be a player, but I fucked your wife. We bust on bad boys. Fucked for life. 
Plus, Biggie tried to see you, you mark ass. Uh, yeah. 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 I ripped Biggie Smalls and Junior Mafia some mark ass bitches. Yeah. It was funny. Sarah earlier uh, was playing Hypnotize. And she's like, yeah, this is <laughs> the only, you know, clean one that we can play around River. I'm like, hey, are we listening to the same song? <laughs> Well, there's really also clean. well, there's also "Sky's the Limit," right? Oh, Which is to limit. me <coughs> his best song. Yeah. Or great. Big Papa. You know. I like Juicy. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm new to this music, so give me a break. This music I grew up on. All right, so we're gonna move on to Tupac's murder. This one's a big one, so bear with me. Okay. Yeah, bear with you. I'll do whatever you want. I have a bear. Yes. All right, to understand how this happened and possibly why this happened, we need to go back a little bit. So, in December of 1995, an associate of Puffy's named Mark Anthony Bell attended a party where a lot of death row people were at. He claimed that Suge, Tupac, Dr. Dre, and four other unidentified males beat him, and Suge demanded to know where Puffy and his family's L.A. residence was. This, for good reason, pissed Puffy off. A threat against his family is... is like a no no touch. And that is a true story. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So a threat um so we shall return to Puffy later. Um Blood Gang member Trayvon Lane encountered some Southside Crip members at a mall. And Lane was wearing a death row medallion which Suge only handed out to the closest people in his inner circle. The Crips jumped Lane and steals his medallion. And the one Crip member was Orlando Anderson. Allegedly a CI told de- told Detective Greg Cading <sighs> That Puffy was offering a $5,000 bounty to any Crip member who can bring him this medallion. On September 7th, 1996, Suge and Pac attended the Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Just after the fight, Tupac, Suge, their entourage, which included Trayvon Lane, were in the lobby. And when Lane sees Orlando Anderson, he tells Tupac, and Tupac attacks Anderson, Lane and Suge getting involved as well. When security intervenes, Suge and Tupac take off. Um, Anderson tells his uncle, who's um, a Crips leader, shot caller, whatever, Keefe D, and basically the the stage is set. That's how the Crips and the Pyru Bloods end up. Well, they were always kind of shitty, right? You know what? So, from what I've watched and read, the whole... Okay, let's wait. Hold on, let's go back. So, Detective Greg Caden. Yeah. Right? For those who don't know, uh, prior for him to be put on his case, he was already brought up on charges of drugs and money laundering himself. No, 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 no. Wrong guy. Wrong guy. You're thinking of... Um, Potter. You're thinking of Perez and Mac. Greg Caden didn't no, even no, no, get I'm the not, case I'm not, until... I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about Perez Mac. Greg Caden actually was... You know, he, he, he was... He, he was, I'm not saying he's a crooked cop, but he was under suspicion of being a crooked cop. Hence, this is why he got passed to this case. Sorry. So, I'm weird. I've never seen any of that in my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we have to go back to that. But anyway, you know. Okay, well, we'll touch on conspiracies later. Yeah. Um. But, so, when, before uh, Shug beats the shit out of the guy in the hotel room, <coughs> the chain had already been snatched at that point. Was it? Yeah, the chain had already been snatched by Trayvon by uh Trayvon and um that's what leads to Suge coming out and asking where Biggie where it's Pac so stuff weird is. though because everything I've read in any documentary 
they all say it happened before. It happened like a couple, at, like a week or yeah. two before this incident. So I mean, I guess it's take it with a grain of salt. I mean, the only so, kind of research I yeah. do is book research, which I didn't have time to. But that's the thing is like some of the some of the documentaries and stuff like that that are on YouTube and stuff like that. They touch more on how it was all after like he got beat after the fact because he wanted to know where the medallion was, why they had the medallion, and the fact that you know pop or. Uh, that Puffy was brave enough because he was being backed by the Crips. Like, they were even at his L.A. show, right? We'll like, get there, yeah. Yeah, but, like, the fact that he had them backing him, so he wanted to know, okay, where are these guys? Why, why do they have this chain? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want my chain back, basically. I, like, I want the medallion back. And that's what leads into the fact of him asking questions and beating the shit out of this guy. See, growing up myself, I knew of Tupac and Biggie. I didn't listen to a lot of their music. Um, actually, now that I think about it, my music selection was actually kind of limited when I was really young, right? Well, so, to be honest, not a lot of people did, right? Because yeah. at this point, rap is just becoming mainstream. Right? Yeah, it, it's just... And, and their beef is getting so out of hand, it's getting media attention, which now... People outside who who wouldn't listen to, you know, this music, who would hate it or, you know, maybe the older generation at that time is now checking in saying, hey, what's going on with this music? Well, as, I, as I think a lot of really going at each other, right? I think a lot of people would agree that uh, the time we're talking about is the golden era of rap, where yes. a lot of people will say, can we go back to that? Because oh, the the mumble the, the mumble stuff today today's music is garbage. Right? Yeah, we, we all can all agree, all right? Genres. Not and, just all genres; they're just garbage. And they lost the funk. Without well, the funk, you see the you, problem with that is uh, when hip hop was just sort of become mainstream. It's it's like when we say golden area. You just rubbed your it, hands it, together like Pac does. It's peaked. Did you right? see that? Like it's, He's it's channeling. Like, there's peak. Right, so I don't think as me being like a hip hop fan, right, and you know going through the eighties or that type of hip hop and following it, uh, I don't think hip hop was supposed to get as big as it has, right, going into the two thousands, um, right, prior to this, because once these guys death, which you know we're we're gonna get to eventually, uh, it changes the whole music game and changes pretty much the music industry forever before Napster comes out. Yeah, right. So and also from my understanding, um governments and police departments were actually worried about hip-hop itself well, creating like such a also, following so that they'd be able to, to... a look at the period of time which is which we were in which is the mid-90s so what happened prior yeah. to the tupac that was really in the news right prior to the east coast west you have the rodney king thing happening yeah right and then you have the oj simpson murder yeah. thing going yeah. on just prior to Tupac's death. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that that's Was that huge. that was prior? Yeah. Yes, that just that, that, before, that just, yes. Yeah. just before. Okay. And that puts it in a, a better mental so you frame. Have to, you have to check where LA is at this time. Where you yeah. know where the where the verdicts were in that, you know, so it's a very hostile environment. It's the mid nineties, everything's and the corruption was running rampant. You know, which we'll that, touch on and, later and again. People get offended now, yeah. man, the nineties were crazy times, See, right? When you look at it so when you look at the hip hop from the eighties versus the nineties, you definitely see an aggression develop in the night, like the later, like the nineties and stuff through Tupac well, you, and through Biggie. Yeah, like just... you, you, you don't look at like um, Young MC or even like Maestro Fresh West kind of thing, throwing out very aggressive 
Yeah, um, like Run DMC, they weren't. That. Yeah, they weren't. And, and you know who's to change for that is NWA. NWA. Yeah, right. It ch- yeah. completely changed it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, <coughs> so we'll get back to this story now. Um, but Tupac and Suge they leave their hotel room and head to Suge's nightclub six six two. Um, for a charity event, which Pac was set to perform at. Six vehicles with death row security and entourage followed behind Knight's 750 black BMW with just himself and Tupac inside. Car with two young women pull up and see that it's Tupac and start screaming at him, saying, hey, Tupac, blah, 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 while Tupac was in the passenger seat. They get to a light, and a white newer model Cadillac pulls up behind the car with the two women and right next to the BMW. A male leans out the back window and starts firing nine shots into Suge and Pac's car, one bullet grazing Knight's head, and four bullets going into Tupac's Shakur. The caddy takes off, nearly colliding with the car with the two women, and the SUV with the security take off after the caddy, where more gunfire takes place, but the shooters are getting away. Sadly, on September 13, 1996, just six days after the shooting, Tupac Shakur dies from his injuries, and he was just 25 years old. The whole Tupac theory, right there, right? That's a whole another crazy theory. We're getting there. We will get there. Trust me. Oh, that's why this one's going to be a special because we're planning on doing some overtime tonight. Man, for people who weren't alive or maybe were a baby at this time who don't really understand the magnitude of what's happening, it's just craziness. You know, one of the yeah craziest times in music, right? You'll never, you'll never see that time again where like you know. Chris you know, where labels like, are so fighting each other. It's just, just, man. So even after this, this starts um, a gang war in L.A. that lasts for 10 days with multiple murders between the Crips and the Bloods. Um, the Las Vegas Department, in my opinion, did not do a thorough job in investigating Shakur's murder. Suge is arrested for violating, violating his probation in, the, in his part of Anderson's beatdown and could face 10 years in prison. Fast forward a decade later. Detective Greg Kading is heading a new task force for Biggie's murder. In the course of his investigation, he pretty much solves Tupac's murder. Kading and his team bring in a CI who helped them bring in Crips leader Keefe D and made a deal with him. And that if he helps them, his family won't be charged. Wait, wait, wait. So to go we will back, get there. Oh, oh. It'll correlate eventually. Okay, okay. But I don't want to get into too much at the same time. Right? <laughs> um, so he says he knows nothing about Big's murder, but he can blow their minds. Keefe D tells them that he met Puffy in 1993 through a New York drug dealer named Eric Zip Martin at a Santa Monica club. Puffy denies this, but there are witnesses who back Keefe D's story. And Keefe says while Puffy was out there for a four-city tour, Puffy and him and Zip talked. And Kading asks, what does Puffy talk to him about and where does this talk take place? And he says it takes place in Anaheim and that uh, Puffy... Or Keefe said that it was both Tupac and Suge Puffy wanted taken out and that he was um, and that this was all taking place in Anaheim. Um, Puffy said this in front of him and Zip, Harold and other Crips. You can wait. <laughs> you can wait. Um, uh, now you threw me off. Uh, Crips that he'd give anything to have those dudes heads. He said they'd talk again and they did at Greenblatt's Deli and told Puffy he wanted a million dollars. The second conversation was just Keefe D and Puffy. What did you want? Every time we do a podcast, whatever topic we're on, shit goes down around here. So right now we have sirens going. 
maybe this podcast is so hot, you know? Someone called me. Uh, no. Hey. See, we did one on conspira- conspiracy theory. theories, and we had helicopters. Flying over top of us. We did oh. one about uh, vampires. All of a sudden, we had a colony of bats above us. Anytime we talk about anything, shit goes down well, around let's here. Let's talk about werewolves, then. Yeah, don't talk about werewolves. I already... I had a four raccoon against two water gun fight the other night, and I still lost. So, so going kind of back to the the Biggie and the conversation. Um, after that conversation is had, and after Pac's death, basically that's when Suge Knight met with the Pyru Bloods, and they had a big meeting. It was somewhere in L.A. They ended up having like a giant barbecue, basically, cookout type thing. And they put the green light on. They were the ones that, okay, Sarah's shaking her head at me here. So, apparently, my information is wrong. You gotta look at Someone's the timing of it. Someone's out of date. Shug was in prison this whole time, right? Okay. Yes, but there was phone calls and there's been proven records. But he wasn't at no barbecue is what I'm saying. No, no, no. But, like, there's oh. been there's been proven phone calls that state that Sugar spoken with the leaders of the Pyru Bloods. Alright. And that's when the green light was put on Biggie. Alright. So, the day of the Tyson fight, Keefe D and Zip go together to Vegas the day before and then his nephew Orlando arrived with Terrence Brown and DeAndre Smith who drove up in a rented white Cadillac. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. He and Zip go to dinner after the Tyson fight completely unaware of the fight going down between Orlando and Tupac. When they are told, they plan to retaliate, and Zip offers Keefe D his forty caliber Glock he has in his Mercedes in the parking lot. In two cars, they drove to 662 and wait, but Suge and Tupac don't show, so Keefe gets in the caddy with his nephew, Brown and Smith, and go to the liquor store. Brown is driving, Keefe D is in the passenger seat, his nephew Orlando is right behind him, and DeAndre Smith is behind Brown. The car with the women yelling got their attention, so Keefe hands the gun to DeAndre, but he won't take it. So Orlando takes the gun, and as their caddy pulls up next to the BMW, Orlando leans across DeAndre, out the window, and starts firing the nine shots. Puffy's bodyguard, Eugene Deal, was told about what transpired in Vegas, and Deal tells the police this, confirming what Keefe D told them. After Suge is arrested for his part in Anderson's Vegas beatdown, he offers Anderson $16,000 to testify on his behalf and tell the court that Suge was trying to help Anderson, not beat him. Anderson apparently takes the deal, but it doesn't work because Suge goes to jail. Anyways, almost two months after Tupac's death, Keefe D meets with Zip Martin because he hasn't been paid yet. Zip says he doesn't have the money yet. However, one of Puffy's associates tells Keefe D that Puffy gave Zip $500,000 to give to Keefe D. I think Zip took the money. <coughs> so because of Keefe D's confessed to LAPD Detective Greg Kading, and Katie confirms pretty much Keefe D's confession minus Puffy's involvement in the Tupac case is just not in their jurisdiction. I believe they did hand over what they had to the Las Vegas PD. So Keefe D has confessed not only just to the police in, and in some documentaries and interviews, but he also wrote his own book confessing to it. The book's called Compton Street Legend, in case anybody's interested. Um, yet no arrests have been made in that. Well, that's because there's a bigger, there's a huge, much bigger, bigger picture. Yes. Going and then you have to go inside death row itself. And yeah. That's just. That's a whole nother podcast. That's yeah. like a whole nother four podcast. <laughs> you know? On May, yeah, on May 29th, 1998, Orlando Anderson was shot and killed during a gang-related shootout. 
Terrence Brown, was dri- who was driving the car, died on May 23rd in 2015. DeAndre Smith died in November of 2004, just leaving Keefe D alone to take the eventual fall for Tupac's murder. Shut up, you sirens! So, when? When are they actually going to arrest Keefe D? Because clearly he's got at least so, a conspiracy so, charge. Yes, yeah, so... You, you've obviously done your information, I see, right? You know, Keefe D, but so Keefe D was stopped on a traffic stop, right? Yeah. So uh, he so he got stopped on a traffic stop. Uh, he was already up on prior charges. He knew it. So to get off on those charges, he says, hey, listen, I got some news. As you said, I know who to. So Greg Caden comes down. This is, So Greg Caden goes, right? Uh, they can't use his story, right? Because that's not the charge that they brought him up on, right? Yeah. So his story is immiscible. They can never use it in court, which is... They Which can't like, charge him because a even though the the plan to shoot Tupac took place in Los Angeles and California, it happened in Vegas, but right? happened in Vegas, so they can't get him on conspiracy charges in California because they offered him immunity as well. But when they handed it over to Las Vegas, but we also we have he to he was an accessory, so they could have charged Vegas could at least charge him with accessory. So, so prior to Greg Caden, we have to get to this though because it's important to the case. Is it he took over for Russell Poole? Yes, and I will get there. Russell okay. Poole's got his own category. Okay, yeah. okay, just, yeah. just, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's why I'm not cutting Sarah off because so, I know. Yeah, so we're only at a half an hour. We're planning on going Actually, past. You're doing pretty good because I'm on yeah? seven. I'm almost. Is that halfway? It's about halfway almost. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Well, so we might need a couple more comedic breaks then, because I, I would like this to be an easy going thing, you know. Sometimes oh. you just got to sit back and take in the, what the fuck your ear holes just heard, the, right? The thing that, like, we'll there's... Yeah, yeah, the thing is, is, like, you read... If you read any books or you read into the case of the Tupac shooting, it's it's comes out that Tupac's security, who was an ex-police officer for the Compton... For Compton... Are you talking about uh, Kevin Hackey? Yes, Mr. Hackey. That I couldn't remember his name. Kevin Hackey. Yeah, Kevin Hackey. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he was so he was Pox's bodyguard, and not only that, but he was an informant for the FBI, and he was working. We should we should also mention Frank Alexander. Was yeah, closest bodyguard to Tupac. And Frank yeah. Alexander, um, they told him not to carry his gun. That yeah, night. they told him not to carry his guns that night. They told him that he couldn't ride with Pox. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't. He couldn't ride with Pox, which. Never happened. He he you're, wasn't allowed. You're about to get turned down on my end. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bec- getting, getting no, yeah, you're getting no, heated. It's just, it, Sit it's, back a bit. It's it's crazy, right? To think that you know was his death actually planned? Like, if you actually listen to the Tupac lyrics and everything, was it like? You know, to, to me personally, I think you know he faked his death, and he's living in Cuba with his aunt. We'll get to right? that. But uh, that's just my opinion. But uh, no. Let's touch on our own theories. As I was saying, like, if for one, your main bodyguard is not allowed to be with you, or carry, yeah, or carry that night, like something's a little off there. The and, fact and... that Suge Knight apparently got shot in the back of the head, <laughs> but they've never found a bullet. Like, well, yeah, they, they have the, the thing. Sarah's happy about that. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, do you need a band aid? <laughs> he, he got oh. some of that on me. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> so, like, it's just things there, don't yeah, fall into line properly. He's so into it, he's night. throwing up. So, like, it's just. 
there's a lot of conspiracy theories behind Pac's death. I like that you touch on the fact that there's no real evidence showing that Suge was actually shot. Because there is that theory that he set this whole thing in motion. Well, if you remember, uh, he said he drove to the hospital, which he didn't In the drive. ambulance. Yeah. He was, no, they he shared said, an ambulance. So, his, so when he takes Suge uh, over, right, he said that he drove his BMW, right, the one that Pac, they were shot at, to the hospital, which was a lie because the wheels were shot out. Yeah. Right? So there's many stories. Even he tells the story wrong, right? Yeah. So nothing adds up in this case. So to, you know. what I like about this is, and I I will probably um, repeat this later in my theory, but apparently Tupac was thinking of leaving Death Row Records, and he actually owed money to Suge Knight because his records he owed money for the bond that was posted, the one point four million. Um, he also owed for mil- owed millions of dollars for um, the record releases and stuff. And so Suge wanted his money, obviously. So let's, and we all know I, that I think artists it was like four are four and a half mil total. Something like that is crazy like that, amount. Yes. But we all know that artists are worth more dead than alive, right? Artists and musicians. Well, if Pac actually leaves Death Row, and at that time there was a lot of, you know, Snoop was gone, Dre was gone, so there's. Okay, well, anyway, so if your main star is gone, once Pac leaves Death Row, Suge Knight's power in the game is over, yeah. right? Like, it's just Death Row just completely ends, and there's a lot of theories. And, and, and as, we can't do we... this podcast without mentioning, like, kudos to Snoop for being wise enough to get out when he could. I got that well, later, Sarah's got that <laughs> later, too. That. We'll be touching on kudos, it. Kudos to Dre for, for not sticking yeah. around and saying, fuck this shit, like, and then that's how you get California love was because Snoop w- or uh, Dre and Pac were trying to patch things up because Dre was basically told Shug, fuck you, I'm going to go start my own record label. Yeah. Right? So, like. Well, if you got the money, why not, right? Like, well, he still owed Shug money, though. That was the thing. Like, Dre even owed Shug money still. And he was like, fuck you. Like, I'm not dealing with your theatrics behind the scenes, which, like we said, before death that's a whole different podcast yeah. that would have to be a death row podcast itself which i think we could do well um, if this one does well enough then we can yeah. certainly give it a go yeah. you know because like the whole in death row itself is a giant corrupt organization it's not just a record label it's so yeah, yeah exactly so to touch on if you guys know who harry o is uh, is actually out now and just actually posted a picture with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre in the studio. Oh, wow. Which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, the mention of Harry O is um, he was one of the backers, the financial backers for Death Row Records. And he took Suge Knight to court for a couple million and Suge actually lost that and yeah. owed and Harry O money. Any lawsuit that Suge's going to get taken into anytime soon Shug's gonna lose oh yeah for sure so should we get back to business like the fact oh real real quick the fact that snoop dogg just literally bought death row records oh did he so like like, recently yeah he in the last like two years he bought death he bought the name death row records he does not own the library yet but he's working on getting the library so that he'll own ownership of his music dre's music and Tupac. Yeah. Now, is anybody going to get pissed off 
because of that, for example, when Michael Jackson got a lot of the Beatles collection and shit like that, so, people's feet got stepped on. Not only that, he owns Elvis's music, too. Yeah. So that's the whole another conspiracy thing in itself, too, right? But I don't, in my mind, I don't think anybody will get pissed that Snoop, because Snoop is classified as royalty and the hip-hop game. Yeah. So I don't think anybody will feel like there's their toes are being stepped on because once if he can get the library there's so much there's over i think they said there was like 900 and something songs that tupac had recorded oh yeah and were never never released the day of light well that also plays into the one conspiracy theory that uh Pac never died because he released more songs after he died than he did when he was alive right that's well, one yeah, of the exactly, ones i heard from years yeah. back right like artists are worth more dead than alive sometimes right yeah all right so let's we'll get back to business here with some biggie um i have a hard time saying biggie because i'm thinking biggie from new yeah. day yeah. and so when i say biggie just bear with me i might pause and say e afterwards so um, so anyways, the murder of Tupac Shakur really upset Biggie. In an interview not long before his own murder, he told the interviewer that he never had any beef with Tupac, and what happened to Pop sh- Pac shocked and saddened him, and he never wished death on anybody. That interview was actually so a used- week before, wasn't it? It was a week beforehand, and it's actually used in the song um, "Running to Die." Uh-huh. They use it in the song, and it's a Biggie and Tupac collaboration. And his last interview ever. Yeah, yeah. his last interview ever. So clearly not immune to this strife taking place in California following Pac's death, Biggie and Bad Boy kept their distance for a while. Now with Pac gone and Suge Knight in prison, Biggie and Puffy decided it was now safe to head west. They were there to go to the Soul Train Awards and more. On March 7th, 1997, Puffy and Biggie attended the award show. I'm going to turn my page here, bitches. Um, in Los Angeles, a minor confrontation between the Bad Boy security and the Fruits of Islam took place. On March 8th, Voletta Wallace would talk to her son and express her concern for his safety, but Biggie reassures his mother that he will be fine. He has the L.A. cops watching him. This would be the last time Miss Wallace would talk to her only child. That same evening, Biggie and Puffy would attend a party at the Peterson Motor Museum put on by Vibe magazine. Tons of people show up, including members of the Southside Crips and Death Row representatives. So many att- so many people attend that at 11 p.m. The fire marshal and LAPD are forced to shut it down. Near midnight, Big and Puffy would head to their vehicles, but it would take nearly 40 minutes. Um, Puff's bodyguard, Eugene Deal, sees a woman walking around the parking garage and a man who may have been Islamic wearing a bow tie. He found them suspicious and asked the man in the bow tie to please leave. At 12.35 a.m. on March 9th, they started to leave the parking garage. Puffy is riding in the is in the passenger seat in the first vehicle with Deal behind him, and Biggie is in the passenger seat of the second SUV with Lil Cease behind him. The security Deal followed in the third SUV. As a caravan of the SUVs approached an intersection, a white SUV cuts the security detail off from the first, the one carrying Biggie, but security manages to get their spot back behind. Deal and Puffy make the light, but Biggie does not. A newer model, dark-colored Chevy Impala pulls up next to the SUV and with his left hand still on the wheel, crosses his right arm with the gun across him and fires into Biggie's SUV. The security SUV takes off after the Impala, which turned right, and Puffy's SUV does a U-turn and Puff runs to Biggie. They cannot wait for help, so they drive drive Biggie themselves to Cedar Sinai Hospital. 
Um, at 1.15 a.m. March 9th, 1997, Christopher Notorious B.I.G. Wallace is pronounced dead from four gunshot wounds. His case was handed over to LAPD Detective Russell Poole. After some time, he would be moved to work on a major police corruption case known as the Rampart Scandal. Poole's passion for Biggie's case and his desire to solve it would end up being his downfall. In short, he believed that the LAPD were involved in the murder of Christopher Wallace. And he will talk. we will talk more about that and Poole and his theory later because it, it's, it's a holy shit moment. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a decade later when the LAPD would reopen Biggie Small's case. After Valletta Wallace filed a lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles for $400 million, a sum that would bankrupt and cripple the city. On May 1st, 2006, LAPD brings in Detective Greg Kading to head the task force to solve, and I use that loosely, the murder of Biggie. <coughs> <coughs> um, he asked if the case was being reopened just to help with the lawsuit and was told no. So they grabbed the, all 92 four-inch case binders from Eternal Affairs and started on a case that would consume the next four years of his life. The decision to make this a federal case was made and he was joined by DA and an FBI agent and a few others to help solve the case. They would start by looking into Poole's dirty cop theory and you'll find out more about that but Kading was or claims to have disproved Poole's theory. I'm not saying that I have disproved it or don't believe it. Um, they were also able to eliminate the white SUV who, who cut in between Biggie and the security team's SUV as to having no involvement in the murder. Um, some suspects who came up was obviously Suge Knight, Trayvon Lane, Orlando Anderson, Keefe D, and Crip members Michael Durow and Corey Edwards. There were two composite sketches done um, after interviews with Little Cease and the driver of Biggie's SUV, Gregory Young. Um, there was a street rumor going around that Bad Boy Records owed Crips a million dollars for what some thought was concert security, while others believed it was for the hit on Tupac. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis is the uncle to Orlando Anderson, who was in Vegas when Tupac was killed and also at the Peterson that night Biggie was killed. He quickly became a major person of interest for Kading. Because it was a federal case, they began to start looking into Keefe D.'s drug dealing and Crips to see who, could, who they could use to flip on Keefe. They set up a major drug sting using an informant and arrested Keefe D. They quickly realized that a lot of his so-called family, I think they meant Crips family, were involved and used this to get Keefe D to talk. So Keefe D tells them that Puffy invited him to the party at the Peterson and a celebrity basketball tournament beforehand. And Little C's confirmed this, that he saw Keefe D at the party talking to Biggie and Puffy. Um, Keefe tells Kading that he offered extra security for Puffy and his crew, but Puffy declined, saying the FBI were all over him and he doesn't want that put on Keefe. Keefe then warns Puff that there are members of Death Row and the Bloods at the party. Keefe D swears to the task force that he had nothing to do with Biggie's murder, and that's when he spills everything about Tupac's murder. Though they didn't have Keefe D for Biggie's murder, informants would give them information that, would, that they'd follow up, but kept hitting a wall. Looking more and more at Suge Knight, they were able to find a possible kink in his inner circle. A former girlfriend who was also the mother of one of his kids and she had a long history of fraud, fake identities, and was convicted to an or connected, sorry, to an auto theft ring. So using this, they to hold over her to have her flip on Suge. They arranged a meeting at Starbucks with one off one other officer and an FBI agent on March seventeenth, two thousand nine. 
She said she was only doing what she had to to protect her kids. A second meeting was arranged, but this time she began to cry. So Katie and his partner left her alone with the FBI, FBI agent. And a few minutes later, the FBI agent told Katie that she knows. So they set up a third meeting at the, at the headquarters for May 28th, 2009. But before then, as they looked more into Shug, Wardell Pucci Faust's name kept coming up. Blood member Roderick Reed sent prison letters to Kevin Hackey, a former cop and former security for death row, saying that Pucci killed Biggie in 2004, like in the letters in 2004. LAPD approached Reggie Wright Jr., who provided security for death row records, and told Kading and his team that Suge had a unique relationship with Pucci that was very secretive. Pucci never hung out at death row like the other Bloods did, and any time he saw Suge with Pucci, it was all... It was only ever just the two of them, and usually behind closed doors. With this information, the task force created a fake confession letter from Pucci using one of his aliases, Darnell Bolton. In 2003, Pucci was shot and killed while riding his motorcycle through Compton. The letter would be dated before his death and would even state Shook's ex-girlfriend as a co-conspirator. During this third meeting, the ex said she couldn't talk about that and, quote, if Shook ever finds out about this, unquote. And cried uncontrollably. This is when they showed her Poochie's so-called confession. She falls for the fake confession and says that's exactly what happened. After Tupac's murder, Suge was very angry and started planning his revenge. He had her pose as part of his legal team, so part of his legal team, so the prison couldn't record or listen in on any of their conversations. During these conversations, Suge instructed her to help arrange the murder of Biggie. Knight told her he would arrange to get her the money to pay Poochie. She had a few meetings with Pucci, and Wright backs this up, confirming that he was asked if he could get $25,000 to one of Suge's women, female friends. There was also a record of Suge buying Pucci and Impala in 1995. The ex said that she was at the party at the Peterson the night, that night, but left early. Said she didn't see Pucci until weeks later when, he, when she paid him 9000 and then he came back for more money and she gave him another 4000 Kading takes this to the higher-ups at the LAPD, informed them that he disproved Poole's theory, and proceeded to tell them that Suge Knight's ex-girlfriend told them what, the, what she told them, but they only seemed to care what Poole, that Poole was disproved. Kading was saying in an interview that only, that only wanted him to disprove the dirty cop theory to put an end to Voletta Wallace's lawsuit. Shortly after Kading's meeting, he was removed from the task force and was put under an internal affairs investigation for a previous case he had worked on. The task force was disbanded. The IA investigation concluded Kading didn't do anything wrong, but unintentionally misquoted a witness in an affidavit for, affidavit for a search warrant. The Biggie case was shelved. The court dismissed the lawsuit. Thoughts? Before I go on to Russell Poole? Well, maybe uh, we should take a little break, let people uh, hit the washroom up if they need to, yeah. and uh, we'll be right back. I might stick something in here. I might not. We'll have to find out. And we're back, and I'm really glad I didn't record any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Holy crap, that went south. Yeah. <laughs> Deep anyway. More ways than one. Yeah. We are uh, messed up individuals. <laughs> talk, we, talk about your red states. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God that conversation wasn't recorded, you know? So where were we? Oh, Russell Poole, right? Yes. All right, where to start with this one? Well... First off, I'm not dismissing Russell Poole's theory, at least the dirty cop part. I'm not ready to push it aside yet. I'm not like Greg Kading did. All right, so Russell Poole was a very well-respected detective, an old age, like an old school type, um, which was likely why he was put on the Biggie case in the first place. A week after the murder, Poole was called to a scene of another of an officer-involved shooting 
Never undercover officer shot and killed another LAPD officer, Kevin Gain, who was an off duty who was off duty and in, instigated a road rage incident. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble reading all of a sudden. During his investigation, Poole found out about Gain's personal life, which connected Gain to Suge Knight in Death Row Records, and that Gain was also dating Knight's ex or estranged wife. In fact, Gain was driving her vehicle when he was killed. Obviously, this put Poole down a path that would forever change his life. Poole's investigation would be put on hold when a police corruption scandal began to unfold that became known as the Rampart Scandal. In short, the Rampart Scandal saw over 70 police officers working in the community resources against street hoodlum, the anti-gang unit, implicated in unproved shootings, beatings, planting false evidence, stealing and dealing in narcotics, covering up evidence, and bank robbery. Only 24 would be punished and next to none seeing prison time. During investigating the scandal, they found out that not only Gain had having ties to death row records in Suge Knight, but that Nino Durden, Rafael Perez, and David Mack did as well, all providing security for death row records for a substantial, substantial amount of money. It was, a, it was after this that the police expanded on his, or that pool, sorry, expanded on his theory and begun digging deeper. David Mack was involved in a bank robbery along with Rafael Perez. Poole would find a makeshift shrine to Tupac and a black Chevy Impala at Mack's home. During the FBI raid of Mack's home, they found gecko ammunition, which matched the type of ammunition used to kill Biggie. Problem was that some this, that same type of ammunition was very popular with gangs in L.A. Poole pressed to have Mack's Impala tested for GSR, but is denied his request of not having enough probable cause. And while Mac is in jail, Poole checks the visitor logs to discover Amir Muhammad visited Mac several times. Kading would later say that Amir, also known as Harry Billups, was not involved. He was a mortgage broker. But then again, Suge Knight was a record producer. So you can do with that information what you want. Um, right. Um, anyways, he's Kading's idea was that the guy gave his real address and driver's license. And if he had anything... To do with the case, like the murder, he would have put down fake information. Billups, or Amir, was the godfather to David Mack's kids. A witness placed Mack and Perez at the Peterson Museum the night Biggie was killed. Mack also took days off work before, during, and after the shooting, which is a common behavior if you look at criminal behavior from a profiling st standpoint. Um, so Poole believed in his theory that dirty cops, Mac and Perez, were involved in the conspiracy to kill Biggie for Suge Knight and had Billups be the trigger man for the hit. Poole put together a 40-page report, which the chief at the time, Bernard Parks, refused to even look at and pulled, Poo pulled Poole off the case. There's too many P's there. And then Poole, who was an 18-year veteran of the LAPD, was now receiving threats from other officers. He quit the force and would file a lawsuit against the LAPD. After leaving the police department, Poole struggled to find work within his field, and he was also determined still to solve Biggie's murder and would work at it until the day he died. On August 19, 2015, while presenting the Biggie case in the offices of the L.A. Sheriff's Department, Poole suffered an aneurysm and died. He literally never gave up on solving this case until his very last dying breath. Dirty cops. Dirty cops. The, the, the whole fact that Poole worked as hard as he did to prove, to to try to prove that um, there was corruption and stuff inside the LAPD. The the not only the LAPD but like 
they also thought that there was corrupt cops down in Las Vegas in and and Compton and which is a whole different podcast. But uh well, Compton itself? Yeah, yeah. Compton yeah. itself is a whole different podcast. Yeah. Um but like he dug so deep and the fact that so many cops turned a blind eye and so many higher ups turned a blind eye to it that's the reason that people think there's so much more to the conspiracy and the fact that the police were involved in both murders. Again, you got to think of the time in the old mid-90s, you know, L.A., Rodney King, <coughs> and now you're bringing up corruption. Oh, yeah. You know, that's uh, huge. Now, whether it's tied to the Tupac thing. Or not. Or you know, not, yeah. It, that would probably be more the Compton section of the police. Right. Yeah. Reggie White or whatever his name is. Yeah. And just like, you know, it's just... That's that whole money talks thing, right? Yeah. So, you heard you guys heard me mention Reggie Wright Jr. Well, his father, Reggie Wright Sr., was a Compton police officer. The head. Was he the head? Oh, okay. yeah. So, the head of <laughs> so there's your tie-in so right there. But I believe Compton so, Police Department was disbanded anyways because of massive corruption. So, I watched this Tupac documentary, uh, sort of based on the stories of Frank, uh, Frank Alexander, his, you know, personal bodyguard anyway. So, you know, a lot of people have the theory, you know, did Shook set him up? And, you know, I thought that too, because obviously Pac was going to leave, you know. So, it, it, to be honest, it makes sense. But when I heard the actual reason, and, you know, it, to have, you know, David Kenner, you know, who is, is the death row lawyer, right? Who's, you know, clients of Harry O, uh, everybody else there, you know, and uh, Reggie Wright. Yep. You know, which, you know, is really technically who, like, if you actually wanted to know who wanted to pull the trigger, which, you know, the names you were naming, uh, you know, with Kivy D. Nino or whatever shit you were saying, (laughs) uh, it it, it really comes down to him Mm -hmm. and David Kenner trying to get the absolute power out of death row and just eliminate everything, even, even Shug, you know, which is just... Which kind of did happen because when Shug was in prison, it was Reggie, he was kind of running things. Right. And you know what? In... Like, even if you don't want to get down the rabbit hole, yeah. like, you know, even if you don't want to believe the conspiracy, you say, oh, well, you know, Pac's actually dead. You know, people have their thoughts, whatever. Like, even if you don't want to get caught in it, eventually you're going to get caught in it because you realize things don't add up. Yeah. Right? There's too many, there's too much things to just be a coincidence that you're just, like, thinking. And now, like, everyone who's even in, been dealt with the case is dead. Right? All, all Pretty like, much. Anyone that has information is just completely either been murdered or, you know. That's like, why every time I find one, right, I'm like, okay, so Keefe so D is the it, only one who's alive who can prove so, that. So it's hard now <laughs> yeah. to to find really anyone who really has anything and to Pucci do with And Poochie himself it, right? is also dead. So, like, if he was the trigger man for Biggie, we'll never really know because there's no way to get him in. To... But that Biggie death shouldn't have happened. No. And Puffy should never send Biggie to Cali six months after that. No. And that was just. You know that 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 was a retaliation, clearly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, his for death sure. his death could have been foregone. You know, may, you know he don't go to Cali for maybe two years. Yeah. But uh, you know, you let this blow over, and I'm pretty sure Biggie would still be alive. Oh, probably. I agree. Right, but yeah. unfortunately, uh, but you know that's how it goes. And yeah. and the thing with Poole's theory, when you think about it, he lost everything, so he didn't have anything left to live yet he was adamant well, like, cops hate, adamant. remember what's the saying no cops hate cops who investigate cops yeah right <clears throat> you don't you don't go in the forest and the same with rick you don't rat on your things right so automatically if you're like a good cop like that you're, you're automatically looked down from the department no one wants to work with you no one will talk to you like yeah so it's like then how do you prove your point and if you're going to bring <laughs> up the, the corruption in it you know how are you going to bring that home when the police force is bigger than you right yeah 
Wow. And it's, it's it's an uphill battle. And and the LA, you know, police don't want that to get out. Obviously, they know they're corrupt. Everyone knows they're corrupt. But especially with the Rodney King and then the OJ thing happening, like, LA was a very turbulent time in that period, right? Yeah. Four to five years. It was just, you know, it was it's very crazy. So that all ties in the, the atmosphere, the whole story. And, you know, LA was just a mess in itself, right? Like, when you think into the whole thing, it was just a whole bunch of needless murder. Needless. All of it. But, uh, yeah. All of it. Again, and then that's what made rap music. People took into this, be like, okay, now two people are dead in the music, and it's because of this type of music. I think more people took into it. Like, hey, what's rap? And then you have the blown-up. You have Eminem coming up, and it's just like, it just, it peaked and then plateaued. Yeah. After. That's great. But you have, after their death, you have, you know, everyone's interested in who these people are when they're dead. And you're like, why are people killing each other now in the music industry? Yeah, what's going on there? Yeah. There's still, there's still a police force and it's a, it's a task unit held by the FBI. And if you listen to like any gangster hip hop police, yeah, it's classified as the hip hop police. And they like, there's a, a documentary that between 50 cent and the game, and in the documentary, the game literally is driving with his entourage, and he pays a bunch of kids autograph CDs and money to go over and hand these hip-hop police cops donuts because he knows he's being followed by them. And yet, when you dive into it or you ask any of these police forces, like, hey, is there such thing as the hip-hop police? Deny. They deny it because they don't want to have that hanging over them like yeah okay we still have cops that follow and you can thank dan quill for that but and they don't have men in black yeah and they don't have you know yeah reversed engineered technology area 51 doesn't exist and area 51 doesn't exist that's a whole different topic but yeah but you might as well lean into some things right but going back to what sarah was saying this detective i forget his name now Pool. pool yeah pool when he was doing everything that he was doing and checking like all these police records and stuff like that and realizing that there was all these corrupt cops and stuff like that. They started calling him Elliot Ness. Yeah. Because he dove into things that he shouldn't have and <laughs> crossed lines that he shouldn't have. I don't, I don't think like, he dove into it. It's just more like, you know, you're dealing with something and now like, you know, now you're undercover and like, you know, ready, right? And you're like, these cops are crooked and then you're just like, you see, you stumble upon it. Right? It's not like he was just going to look for it, and then he's just yeah. like, well, now I have to do it, because that's just the goodness of the cop, right? He wants to be, like you said, Elliot Ness. Yeah. Right? So my grandfather, who was a police officer, I remember him saying once that um, there's always that one case that you become obsessed with in your entire career. And this one was Pools, because he was even obsessed with it after, well, you know? even some of the cops that... Well, you, you would be too, right? Because then you're sort of being blackballed with your career, even though you have yeah. something. And right? you have something to prove. And now, and then you're just chasing it because now you got to clear your name, right? Which is something that he had to do, which everyone thought he was fucking crazy anyway, right? But he's pretty much the only detective to really actually put forth an effort to solve these two murders like and anybody he, else. And he talked to Kevin Hackey, and Kevin Hackey Kevin verified Hackey a lot of his information. And that brings us to Voletta Wallace. So, she would file a $400 million lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles on behalf of her son's family in what was based on an estimated amount of what Biggie would made, would have made if he had lived. And her her civil suit against the city was based on Poole's theory. Yeah, of the corrupt cops. Of the corrupt cops. So, the lawsuit was what reopened Biggie's case. 
bringing on Kading and the new task force. However, once they disproved Russell's theory and offered up a viable one that created reasonable doubt, the city's lawsuit was dismissed based on a promise to Ms. Wallace that the case would has been reopened and will be continued to be investigated, even though they shut the task force down and it has not been touched since. She's actually thinking about refiling. And she can. Yeah, yeah. she definitely can. So the murder of Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G., remains unsolved and cold. And the promise of a continued investigation broken. So, any thoughts on that? Uh, it'll never be solved. No. You know, and if it is, it'll, probably, <coughs> it's, it'll be way too late, and this generation will probably be dead. The generation that'll yeah, be. Yeah. Right? It's, Compared it's, to the generation behind us. They just... I, I see kids that are like 13, 14, and obviously their parents listened to oh, Biggie yeah. and Tupac. And they're walking around with a pock shirt. And I'm like, A, you have no idea. And right. B, I don't think you should be wearing that. Pock, for one, pock wasn't like the tattoo on his stomach. Thug life literally stands for the hate you give little infants. Fuck everyone. Yes. Like that's what it stands. That's what thug life stood for. And thug life was not a gangster mentality. It was. Basically, I'm sick of the corruption. Yeah, it was more of his motto. Yeah, it was his motto. He wanted people to act more like a thug and get down to the bottom of the root. Yeah, the corruption. Right? And that's where, like, a lot of people think Biggie was, like, this big-time gangster. Biggie was a... Biggie Biggie was, though. Biggie was a gangster. I mean, Tupac wasn't the gangster. He put on the persona of a gangster... And he was actually more of a poet. Like, he took inspiration from YouTube. Or from YouTube. From YouTube. Not YouTube. Uh, YouTube. I don't be like, thinking <laughs> so. Sugar Hill Gang, stuff like that. And he was a big believer of, like, Shakespeare, writing like Shakespeare and voicing his opinion. And, like, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, stuff like that, because he was raised in the corruption. So he wanted, if you listen to a lot of Pac's music, it's about corruption. Like, uh, listen, Pac's a revolutionist. He was born with it. His family was born. You're born. You're born into the yeah, Black yeah. Panthers, right? And you know, you know what I wish people would stop doing is comparing Biggie to, and Pac. I wish that like you cannot compare them because Pac is a poet. The two are very different. Very different. Pac is very, a poet, where Biggie's, Biggie's a, a storyteller. Story yeah, the best storyteller. Yeah. Right, and Pac will just give you any situation, the truth and the realism, like what it's like out in the world. You know, like the world don't care about you. There's poverty. There's pe- there's young people, girls getting fucking pregnant at a young yeah. age. There's so, baby. You know, like, somebody <laughs> who only recently dove into listening to both Pac and Biggie's music. I'm like, wow, like there's a lot of cuss words and stuff in here, and I'm like, but then I actually l- like read the lyrics, and I would take those things out. Of both of their music. And I'm like, they're telling a story. What You take the cuss words and the racial slurs out. You take make the videos. But you take the skanky hoes out. And what you've got is a story. It might not be their story. But it's somebody's story. And it matters. So you, you have to actually look or read deeper into the lyrics. Yeah, but booties bring eyes. Well, sex sells. Yeah, sex sells in general. As, yeah. as does. Yeah, like Biggie said, I like my bitches stainless. Stainless and my guns stainless. Oh, there you go. But, like, if we're talking about, like, 
the difference between Biggie and Tupac. Like, if you listen to Ghetto Gospel, a song by Tupac, he literally states, like, in the song, that he hopes there's a better place in the sky for for people that have grown up in the ghetto and haven't had nothing. Yeah. Because he knew there was, like, we could end world poverty today. If people wanted to, we could end it. There's there's no need for poverty. There's no need no. for Compton to be the way it is, like, Run well, down, there, like there's that. new talks of a, uh, what the heck did they call it, uh, world basic income or, or, yeah. or, or well, something universal like that. basic income. Universal UBI, basic yeah. income, yeah. that's it. Where everybody. Which in the future will come in too because robots, uh, if, if they're going to take all the jobs. Will take yeah. So yeah. you're going to have Self-care. something. You're going to have to have. People are going to be all. Okay, we're getting a little political here. Yeah, Mystery Matt do. does not do politics. Oh, shit. So, should we learn a little bit about Suge? And or, or robots. No, fuck robots. So let's learn a little bit about Suge Knight. So I believe his first name is Marion. Yes. Marion Suge Knight. Yes. And he grew Some up... gangster. Yes. So no wonder he went by Suge Knight. He'll Marianne, still dangle anyone Marianne. here off this balcony, I tell you. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> he, so Suge Knight grew up in Compton, and he immersed himself in playing football and in track. And he played... He played football in El Camino College until he transferred to the University of Nevada in 1985. 1987, he went undrafted during the NFL draft, but during the player strike, he played two games for the Los Angeles Rams. He then found work as a concert promoter and a bodyguard for celebrities until he began his own music company. And his first major profit came from Vanilla Ice, who stupidly agreed to sign over all his royalties from his one and only hit song, Ice Ice Baby, which obviously he sampled from Queen. Wait, 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 well, wait, wait, well, wait. Gave him a couple points off it. Let's just put it there. What about Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go? That, that's a, no, that was not a hit song. It was not a hit song, unfortunately. It never reached, It was a hit song in a hit movie. It never reached the top ninja, 40. Ninja, rap, ninja, ninja, rap, so go there, ninja, go ninja, oh, go, Jesus. go okay. ninja, go ninja. So go. there was a rumor that Vanilla Ice had been dangled off his hotel balcony by Nike in his own bodyguards, but Vanilla Ice said that never happened. There was just a threat of him being thrown out of his hotel room. Um, in 1991, Knight co-founded Death Row Records with Dr. Dre and D.O.C. And then Snoop Dogg... Huh? Is it just pronounced Doc? Yeah, yeah it's just pronounced Well, why did they put periods in between everything? Because everybody... If you listen to N.W.A., they... Now, they just a Doc. But yeah, they're, but they're the not doc. called Noir. No. <laughs> but they just call him the Doc. Oh, okay. And... Yeah. So was that the whitest girl pronunciation of a rap yes. name or and person? Yes. he went by... Was it just one guy or was it, it a group? Was one guy. Okay. D.O.C. is one guy. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> white hurts. D.O.C. is one guy who actually got in a car accident and was really fucked up. I listened the to car- the Beatles, so... <laughs> if you watch the movie N.W.A. movie... The new one that straight out of Compton, they actually go into Doc getting into the car accident and becoming paralyzed. Well, not paralyzed, but he lost his voice. Yeah, he lost his voice. Okay, so like Bumblebee? No, worse than Bumblebee. Oh, <laughs> to did the he? point where you couldn't rap. Did he at yeah. least? Well, he could have so talked through the just radio. A ghostwriter stuff oh. like that, right? Because his voice would be. I'm the doc. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Glad you could be here. Alright. So, Snoop. 
Dog signed with Death Row, and his debut album Doggy Style went certified quadruple platinum in 1994. What was the major hit off that album? Gin and Juice. Nope. Yes, it was. What's my name? Oh. I don't know. I thought it was. But Gin and Juice is from that album, right? Gin and Juice is off the first album. Still the most hype up rapper ever. Yeah. Yeah. So Snoop Dogg, known by his real name as Kelvin Brodus Jr., who's also Sasha Banks' cousin, signed with Death Row in 1992 and recorded with them until 1998. Snoop has his own sordid past that could be an episode down the line on its own. Snoop, Snoop Dogg in general could have wanted. his own freaking episode. Like, easy. Yep, two of America's most wanted. Right. When Dr. Once Dr. Dre left Death Row, Snoop realized he was pretty much locked in with Death Row with them owning anything he he produced, so he refused to produce any more tracks for Shook. In 1998, he signed with No Limit and found success with them until 2006. So Shug, this, so everything about Shug kind of leads into this, and you look at what his actions were during Tupac and Biggie and all that. Um, so Shug allegedly threatened Snoop's life. And not many stood up to Shug oh, and lived to tell about it. Um, I said allegedly because I have to be careful with our legalese here. It, it's Everything proven. in this podcast is alleged. <coughs> FYI. There is documentation that is actually public knowledge that Snoop was had a hit on him. Okay. Suge Knight I'm still put, just saying allegedly for safety yeah, actually reasons. actually did put a hit out on Snoop. Okay, so Snoop also was attacked, being punched and kicked by people working for Death Row. He was afraid for his life for a long time. In a Nick Broomfield documentary that I watched on the YouTube, um, Broomfield managed to secure an interview with Suge in prison. And when talking about how he doesn't want to see kids make some mistakes he made, Broomfield asked how Snoop managed to stay out of prison. I remember that one too, he's smoking the cigar. Yeah, 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 he's got the cigar and shit, yeah. So Shug's reply to that question was, if you have someone who never goes to prison, he's an informant, a rat, a snitch. And he refuses to outright say that Snoop is a rat, but says guys on the street, no. Okay. Now. That was a good documentary. It was good. That was just a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. But. He's doing another one. If you look at the Snoop Dogg case of him with the attempted murder, being charged for attempted murder and shit like that. He was not involved with the shooting. No. So technically, they could not charge him for murder. They could only charge him with conspiracy to commit murder or accessory after the fact. Yeah. They didn't have enough evidence to charge him with conspiracy or... Accessory. Accessory. That's why the charges were dropped against Snoop. And that's why Snoop never went to jail. Snoop has been charged many a times... For possession of marijuana. Many a time. Many a time. He's yeah, the king many, of it. Many a times for possession of marijuana, controlled substance, illegal firearms. I'm pretty sure London wouldn't, have been, wouldn't uh, let him in yeah, he a got couple, ban- few years yeah, ago, he right? Got, I heard about that. But yeah. the marijuana ain't no thing. Not now. Yeah, but no, no, it ain't, it ain't not, no thing. When, ain't Snoop, no thing. <laughs> when, when Snoop was being charged with this stuff, like Snoop got caught in Toronto Pearson International Airport with Caught on him, yeah, and they literally arrested him, put him in lockup, and handed him a fine to pay, which he paid before he could do his concert in Toronto. Well, look at Tommy Chung. Well, well, Tommy Chung was charged for. Hey, man, or, or, or Willie Nelson. Well, yeah. 
But like I'm saying, like Shaggy Rogers, they're they're saying they're saying. Why Zoic school? They're they're saying. Where was he on our cartoon one? Yeah, they're saying Snoop is a snitch. But if you if you look and watch some of the documentaries that even <laughs> Snoop's put out himself, or like other people have done on Snoop, he's paid every fine he's ever been given. He's given back so much to the community and stuff like that. It's like any famous actor or actress. If you're giving back to your community and you're showing that you have this money to pay, money talks. You can get out of anything. So it's like not Martha a, Stewart? Well, Martha Stu- Stewart actually did time. And it's funny, any commercial with Snoop Dogg and Marsha, Martha Stewart because she's more gangster than he is. Oh, it's so gold. Those two <laughs> together is just gold. Um, I absolutely love Snoop. I love it when he was on, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, and they were doing the wild world of animals, and Snoop yes. was like... Like, oh, what is it? Planet sh- sh- for Shizzle or something? Yeah, Planet for Shizzle. And he was, like, looking at, like, all these wildlife oh, videos and just freaking, yeah. like, oh, my God, look at him. Like, he's eating him. Ew. Like, oh, my God. The, his commentary on those would make me pee Snoop, every time. He's freaking hilarious. Love Snoop him. Is a comic great, comic relief. And he's learned through acting and stuff like that how to distance himself from... So and because Jimmy saw the documentary, he will know what I'm talking about. I forget but. the name of the documentary. Was yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was just Tupac and Biggie. It was, which was a great documentary, great. by the way, because the, you see the Russell Poole and you see the Kevin Hackey. Yeah, yeah. Right. So and then you you know what? Like I remember watching that when it came out first, and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah, that was my you, thought too. You know, and now like who, who like as we've seen the documentary. Those people in the documentary now are practically almost dead. Pretty much, <laughs> even Poole. Like, even Poole's gone. That's like, like a, there's like, a documentary, Tupac's Angels. Mm. And and that one, like, you can find it on YouTube also. But in that one, they talk to his um, his manager and stuff like that. And his first manager, Tupac's first manager, said the only reason that this woman signed Tupac to a contract is basically because she wanted to fuck him. Oh, I don't know. And it, it's alleged that. Alleged, right? yeah. Allegedly. She, she says... Straight up in the documentary, she's seen the lyrical poet that in him, yeah, yeah, yeah. in him, and, and she actually why. was in Broomfields as well. And he's and yeah, yeah, had yeah. the same comment, yeah, and that's why she signed. So, I, I kind of like this part in a way, but at the same time, I was like, Holy shit, how did Snoop get out of this? But Broomfield wasn't done with Shug, so he logged on to check out Death Row Records' website, expecting to see a message for the kids. And I love the way he says this because when he narrates things, I I'm gonna. The raccoons are coming. Fucking raccoons are here. They're they're um, invading our podcast. Hopefully they're friendly. The last <laughs> they're one, city coon raccoons. The last one had a bandana and a knife. It's Frank. He's coming to get us, Jimmy. He got out of the dumpster. Oh, no. He's <laughs> out for revenge. Anyways, yeah. I'll try to keep going. Um, So I love the way that um, Broomfield narrates it because you can kind of tell that he was not expecting a message for the kids and that he thought that whole conversation yeah. about i wanted to keep things positive and i want to send a message to the kids was complete there it was complete jar. bullshit you, you know, it was all bull. right and i kind of like the way that he kind of used sarcasm to push this but he said that when he logged on instead of seeing that message to the kids he sees this quote 2001 the year of fear dot 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 new screen fades in all dogs spelt with two g's run and hide dot 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 new screen fades in suge is coming home and in the background, you hear a yappy dog, 
couple gunshots followed by doggy whimpers. So what this tells me is that Snoop is one lucky son of a bitch because he could have been killed. Maybe Suge knew he couldn't do it because he'd be the prime suspect, but holding that fear over someone is sheer power. And Suge probably got off on that power. To this to this oh, day, yeah. Snoop is still afraid. He well, I wouldn't say uh, afraid, but, but he's still cautious. Yeah, cautious. Because he realizes that Suge has that power, right? Like mm-hmm. to this day, Sh- well, I don't think Suge has that power anymore. You know, the times have changed. He's been in well, jail yeah. for so long. He's had so many lawsuits. I mean, he, I mean, hell, the man he, has nothing. He, he was knocked out before he went to jail recently, right? I mean, quite a few years ago. So, I mean, yeah. But like, there, <laughs> there still is that chance that there's one old, old head OG that would pull a trigger. Ah. Uh. No, it's Snoop Snoop, right? You know, I don't think that he's a, he's untouchable. No so one I, would do anything. So I did a theory on both cases, and I'm going to read them both before you guys weigh in, because I tied them in, I think, I want to say neatly with a nice bow on top of it. Um, But I'll start with my Tupac theory. Hopefully the raccoon doesn't attack us. Um, okay, so here's my Tupac theory, okay? So I honestly don't believe that Suge Knight had anything to do with Tupac's death. But my first thought was, after watching like eight documentaries, was he could have. So Tupac was not a blood. He wasn't even a gangster. He just kind of had that persona to sell his music, which Chris already touched on. He said the exact same thing. It was like he was playing a part. Um, He was very successful. He did tons of movies and everything. But however, he was rumored to owe Suge millions of dollars. He owed for the bond posted by Suge, and he owed back money for to show for, to use to make his album so pac you pac used a lot of his money before signing with death row you just to pay pac like i know a white person i know i'm sorry i corrected myself asshole um but bef- he used a lot of his money he made with his other record album but before shook to pay his many legal fees and i'm presuming his hospital bills um and we all know that artists and musicians are worth more dead than alive so let's theorize for a moment let's say shook did have Tupac killed, and Trayvon Lane was involved, and maybe Keefe D, too. Maybe Suge paid Keefe D a fuck ton of money to make sure his nephew was there at the MGM Grand Lobby. This would prompt Trayvon to tell Tupac, which I can't figure out. Why would you tell Tupac? Tupac, you know, in the first place, why would you tell him? Um, when they had their own security there, why not tell them? Anyway, so Lane tells Tupac, knowing that it would get Tupac caught under the collar and pissed off, so Pac attacks Orlando. Their motive set up. Two hours later, Orlando takes the gun from Keefe D and shoots into the car, killing Pac. There's a rumor that Suge never got a bullet in his head, which we also talked about a little bit earlier, and that there's apparently medical evidence that he got grazed by a piece of flying glass. There was one ambulance for both Pac and Suge. Now, if Suge was shot in the head, he'd be in a separate ambulance. Does my theory hold weight? Maybe. Um, Keefe D was only difference is that he said Puffy ordered the hit. The only person who can collaborate that is Zip Martin, who I believe died in 2012 and something to think about. But wait, there's more. Big E, my Big E theory. We piggyback a bit on the Russell Poole theory and what Greg Kading uncovered. We have a major connection. So Shug is allegedly pissed that Tupac is dead, blames Puffy, plans to retaliate, but he's in jail. So he gets his baby mama to act as a go-between between him and Poochie, which is not a really gangster name if you ask me, Poochie. I, I think there was a pink cartoon dog back in the 80s named Poochie. Yes. He was also on Rocky and Bullwinkle. And there was a pink dog named Poochie on... Uh, a show called Poochie. 
Yeah, but yeah. what the heck was... Yeah, was like a lot of Rock- Poochie. Hey, no, Rocco's World. Maybe. Oh, Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, Rocco's yeah. Modern Life. Rocco. And his name was Poochie. Alright, so the ex secures the money so she can pay Poochie 9000 then another 4000 and out of twenty, but out of twenty five thousand dollars. So where's the other remaining twelve thousand? Well, here's my theory: six thousand she kept, and six the other six thousand went to David Mack for getting Poochie what he needs and to get into the party to watch where Biggie was. Poochie shoots and kills Biggie for sure. When Poole, I'm almost done here, folks. When Poole starts to uncover dirty cops and they're linked to, to that night, I think that's what that says. He's pulled from the case and forced out. Ten years later, Kading is put on the case. He thinks he has disproved Poole's theory and presents Poochie and the ex as accomplices. But he's getting too close to finding Mac's connection and involvement, which proved Poole's theory and would have cost the city $400 million. Kading is pulled off the task force. The task force is shut down and the case gets shelved, leaving both Tupac and Biggie's murder unsolved. To this day. I just tied it all in, yeah. in my opinion. To this day, I, I still believe that... We got lots of raccoons out tonight. Yeah, but uh, to, to my my theory, as I think, I think the whole paw thing... You stink? Was, no, I think like the whole Tupac oh, thing was a, was a setup. Because like I think Shug had him set up to be shot. And if you go back and you look, there, you can find evidence online and stuff like that of... Um, the Tupac autopsy and stuff like that, and uh, there's uh, that's missing. Well, now it's missing, but you used to be able to find it. But um, in the autopsy report, there was tat corner had put tattoos like Pox tattoos in the wrong spots, like his uh, what was it? The queen on his on his chest was or Nefertiti. Yeah, Nefertiti was on the wrong side of his chest. Um, he didn't have some of the, he didn't have all the scars. From the first shooting. So, like, like, you think it's a mock-up or something? Yeah, yeah. you said it was a wrong body. And like, wrong. like I said, I think yeah. Pox owned Cuba with his aunt. You know, there's a whole backstory about how the government banned his aunt to Cuba because like, she was going to expose all the secrets so they, you know, she could live there. I think that's <laughs> the same thing that happened with him, you know? Yeah, I think he... Deep down. I, and he just... Yeah. Ha- it's just like, how much money do they got to pay you that you never... That you can just disappear. What's the name of that song? That artist, the Doc or whatever. Oh, Don Casanova or Casanova the Don. There. Yeah, and there's a song. I think it was released just last year, and it literally it sounds like Pac. He speaks like Pac. His cadence is the same as Pac's, and he talks about like Obama and shit that's going on in the world now. And uh, if you look at it, and you actually like listen to the song you've got to listen to the song more than once to actually be able to tell but in my mind as jimmy said i think it's Pac, and Pac's finally starting to emerge and he calls himself machiavelli and machiavelli apparently right yeah it was well it was an album name and well, it was casting over the dawn is what yeah it yeah Hold, hold on to some of that for the fake death podcast well yeah because they want to bring out michael to that one too and uh Elvis and Andy Kaufman. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying, like, to to tie into this one, like, if they want someone who has enough weight gone, they can make you disappear. Yeah, and the fact that like if <laughs> the you, Illuminati, right? If you listen to enough of Pac's music after he was dead, like, there's songs with him and M and him and Fifty, and 
like stuff like that. And he's talking about modern day stuff when those albums were dropped. Yeah. So like something not like I don't care if you have millions of songs in the bank, you're not gonna know about present day events. Yeah, present day stuff unless you're like what? Yeah. One philosopher from back in the day. Anyway. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys was, uh, how did you feel when they came out with the Tupac hologram? The the hologram was the most expensive investment they ever just, made. They just came out with a biggie one. Yeah, and if they were so smart, steakhouse. The Michael Jackson one is phenomenal. But I like them. I have no. I don't have no. If they were, if that. they were to put on a concert with the biggie, <coughs> with the biggie or Tupac hologram. And as long as tickets ain't outrageous, I'd go. Hey, people yeah. would definitely go and see that, like, you know? And I'm pretty sure if they did it with Elvis or something. They just released a know? new Elvis movie. And a friend of mine went and seen it, and he said, Elvis has been apparently dead for how many years? Like yeah. 50-something years now? Yeah, 40, like, 40 yeah 40, 44, yeah, something like that. Yeah. But the theater was packed, and it was adults. There was kids. There was teenagers like there was well the music's not gone yeah, it's just changed but like even Pac, like Pac and biggie's music has touched so many people like you were saying you you see 12 year olds and 13 year olds walking around Pac with- and biggie's music su- touched some people inappropriately um the difference though i think you would you see the reason the reason why you saw such diverse age groups in the elvis theaters because elvis's music is completely different from mm. Tupac and Biggie's, and more family friendly. Dare I say? But unfortunately, like you wouldn't let your four year old listen to somebody saying, "I fucked your wife." Like, well, well, there's Tupac, two different like, periods in Pac's rap. Okay, well, I guess right? most parents. Like, Dear Mama it. is one of my favorite songs by Pac to this day. Like, I hold that song near and dear to my heart because he talks about being sixteen, locked up, and causing his mom fucking hell. I did that shit to my mom. Mm-hmm. So like it hits home with me. Like I put my mom through hell. He put his mom through hell. He wanted to, I. But she put him through hell too, though. Like I don't want to put myself into a situation where I basically could put myself up on anything. But don't like, don't don't. <laughs> but like he wanted to pay his mom's rent, right? He wanted to make sure his mom lived comfortably. I wanted to do the same thing, right? So like it it touches home. Yeah. Just the the lyrics of it, like, and we're always gonna have a certain song that touches yeah. us internally and brings that 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 feeling of and connection I, to, like, there's Chris- you know, and it might be the Tupac song, it might yeah. be a Biggie song, it might be a Beatles song, it might be for my daughter a Tom Petty song, or it might be Michael Jackson or Prince. Yeah. There's always gonna be that one song where the lyrics, <laughs> where the lyrics are telling your story. So there's always gonna be that Hello song there, that tells our story as well, right? I hear the screams of the vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> vegetables. Oh, wow, that just got religious really fast, didn't it? <laughs> All right, and on that note, I think we should leave it there, and uh, maybe we can die if this one does well enough. We get enough listeners, we can get into death row. And it better do freaking well because I spent a shit ton of amount of time on this sucker in less time than I normally spend. So. Yeah, you better be freaking listening. Or I'll kick you in the box. So, thank you to everybody who made it this far in the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, Like Sarah said, a lot of work went into it. Uh, If you want to check out 
the Buy Me a Coffee account. There's a button there somewhere. I don't know. Whatever. We have a Facebook fan page, which gets the podcast the quickest because I finish editing. I post it there first. So uh, you can check that out. Also, we have a Twitter. I've got a TikTok thing, you know, that the kids are on. And an Instagram. And WordPress. And WordPress, yes. Now we got oh, a WordPress. WordPress. Oh, yeah. We're on everything now, bud. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. Well, there's not much going on there, but we've added a couple of the ticky-talkies to that. Well, um, we, we should do an ARC video. Yeah. yeah. Arc, there, there needs to be a new ARC video. And hopefully, hopefully in the next week or so we can get a new art video out see the the problem is i gotta make sure my playstation is good and clean because i'm not dealing with it glitching out again like it oh, did like on it crystal isles or yeah. was it crystal isles it, yeah, was, it was crystal isles. Or, oh, or, or yeah, yeah the the hundredth episode and yeah. everything went to dick yeah it pissed me right the fuck off anyways i've been mystery matt and uh Thank don't you. shoot people they don't like it